Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. The easiest way to connect with us from right where you are is by downloading our free Real Life Community app from your app store. You can also find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. This is the story of of the Bible all the way through. It it tells of our experience there of a world that's made for shalom, but is broken by sin. You can imagine it like this puzzle. Uh, This puzzle says, my peace I give to you from John chapter 14. And this is what God's desire was from the very beginning was that there would be this unified vision of wholeness. And when sin enters the world, we can imagine it like this puzzle being broken. Now, I'm going to need some help with this. Uh, So, kids, uh, can you guys give me some help? If you're a teenager too, if you just like to do puzzles and you're, you know, 85 or whatever, uh, we need some help with this. I'm going to give you guys a box, and here's what we're going to do. I want all of the pieces to go in this box, and then you guys, we're going to have a race. I want you guys to put all the pieces in the box, take it back to real kids, and Miss Sierra is going to help you put this puzzle together, and you have about 15 minutes uh, to try and beat me, okay? Okay. All right. So while they're doing that now, when you guys are putting the puzzle together, I want you to be remembering that in the act of putting it all together, that is what God is doing with us and for us in Jesus. All right. So uh, do you got all the pieces? Make sure you're not missing any. All right. Sierra's ready for you back there. Anybody want to help them? Feel free to go. Go for it. All right. Now, while they're doing that, Uh, I want to explore the scripture together. I want to walk through the gospel passage with us today. It's in Luke chapter 3. And it's a passage like a lot of Advent passages that have to do with the preparation of our lives for the coming of Christ. And to be able to celebrate Christ's birth, but also expecting his return. And we're going to hear about uh, John the Baptist this morning, whose role very specifically was to make a straight path among God's people for the Messiah to come. So Luke uh, chapter 3 verses, we'll start with verses 1 and 2. Goes like this In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. You got all this? Everybody with me here? Uh, following right along, right? Um, <clears throat> during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So, uh, Luke 
who's very much a historian by heart. He's very concerned with the details. He's very, uh, really wants us to know that the things that happened in Christ weren't just some hypothetical spiritual realm that God is doing some things uh, in, but happened, the story of Jesus happened in the course of human history, right? And so as a good historian does, he makes sure that we've got our bearings in history and this person was ruling here and this person was ruling here. This person was in charge of all the things and this person kind of ran the religious area of the world. And that's the world that we were living in at the time in this world. Now, here's something that, that's interesting that Luke does, though. In this world, and he names all the power players that are in the history books, right? The, the ones who are taking up the, the Apple News feed and the Twitter feed and, you know, like making the headlines. He names all of those people. But then he says something really interesting. He says, the word of God came not to any of these folks who are, who are running the headlines of the day, but the word of God came to John in the wilderness. Out in the desert, the word of God, the most important reality in all of creation comes to a guy wearing camel hair and like leather and eating locusts and bugs, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. The most important thing that's happening is not happening up here with the movers and shakers, but it comes to the man in the desert who's baptizing folks out in the Jordan River. He is where the key action, this is where the key action is gonna take place. And John had a very particular message it was focused. It was a lot like when Jesus began to minister, his message was focused as well. Look, the kingdom of God is among you. It's near, it's come. Uh, and, and you can be a part of it. You can enter into it. The gates are wide open for you. John's message before Jesus was similarly focused. It was like a stump speech he had. You know, like this was, this was what he came to do. It wasn't all sorts of different things, but it was this in Luke chapter three, verse three, the next verse, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming, here was his message, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was his message. And then Luke does this interesting thing where he connects John's message with this Old Testament passage. And he says, uh, it's like it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Luke says, these two things are connected. John coming and saying, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins is connected with what Isaiah said, a way will be made straight and valleys will be brought up and mountains made low and rough places smoothed out so there's a clear runway for God. And so a key question for us this morning is, how is what John is doing somehow making straight paths for the Lord to come and not only to come, but to save because it says in Isaiah, all flesh shall, will see the salvation of God. First off, 
uh, as we start to explore that question, how are these things connected? John recognizes that if we're going to be ready for saving and some kind of restoration of shalom, of peace, then we have to be willing to do an honest assessment in our lives, in our world, in our culture of how broken things are. If we're going to be ready for saving, then at some point we have to be able to say, I, I, I need saving. Uh, this is what I need saving of. To be honest, to take an honest assessment about how, how broken things are, what the puzzle really looks like scattered around and laying on the floor. And I'll be honest with you, and you know this as well, this process can be uncomfortable. Can be. We do all sorts of things to uh, insulate ourselves from having to admit some sort of brokenness in our life or in our culture or in our family or neighborhood or systems or patterns or habits or practices. And in many corners of our culture, to make it even more difficult, the naming of sin and its effects is kind of taken off the table. Have you noticed this? That in a culture uh, that we live in, that, that the idea of sin, the concept of sin, the word sin, this is probably one of the only places that you're going to hear about it. Uh, we are in a culture today and in a world that we don't want to make anyone feel bad. Understandable, right? But this is like a, a big deal. We, we don't want to make anybody feel bad. If we say sin, we're worried that it will lower someone's self-esteem or that it will come off as sounding judgmental or mean-spirited. And we could go on with the reasons for why we uh, have kind of an allergic to reaction to talking about sin in our culture. But the reality is that we've been trying for a while in our culture to erase the concept of sin in hopes that, I don't know, we'll feel better about ourselves, we'll somehow deliver ourselves from the guilt that comes and is associated with sin. But ironically, refusing to talk about or acknowledge sin actually leads us to be worse off. Listen, this maybe sounds counterintuitive in, in our world today, but to take the concept of sin off the table and refuse to talk about it and name it and deal with it actually doesn't leave, lead us to more freedom and to more lightness of heart and to more shalom, but it kind of tries to detour the naming it and to, the, the turning from it and repenting from it that will lead us to the wholeness. So it leaves us worse off. I love how this commentator that I read this week named Leonard Klein describes this. I think we've got this quote on the slides. Our era's desire to forget the reality and even the possibility of sin has not liberated or enhanced human life. It has diminished it. Denial of the gravity of sin leaves people witless and disabled in the face of the world's evil and their own shortcomings. Denial of sin has left Christians and non-Christians alike unable to understand their predicament. It's like we realize, Christian or not, that the puzzle is broken, that there are these pieces on the floor. We, we recognize that, and just intrinsically, with pain or hurt or disconnectedness, broken relationship, uh, you know, all sorts of issues that we have in creation, um, we recognize that the puzzle is broken, and yet, 
our approach very often is rather than recognizing that it's broken and that it shouldn't be broken, that God's desire is that it would be made whole, instead we try and just make ourselves comfortable with the broken pieces. This is what we do when we try and detour a conversation of sin. We say, well, maybe that's just the way it ought to be. And so I'll just try and get comfortable and make myself home in this mess. And, and that leads us to worse off because it, it leaves us with no ability to understand why the pieces are broken and how they've been broken. And is this the way that they ought to be forever and ever and ever? When we remove the concept of sin from our language, it leaves us unable to understand our predicament. But John, out there in the wilderness, didn't have this problem <laughs> at all. Like, um, he went as far on the other side of the spectrum. He comes along saying, like grabbing us by our shirt collars and saying, no, 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 we've got to talk about this. Because the puzzle wasn't meant to be scattered around and broken and you weren't meant to live in that brokenness. God wants to do something different in your life and in our world, he wants to restore and make whole. The world was created for shalom. And so John comes and his message is, let's name the sin. Let's be baptized out of it. And let's repent of it. Repent is just this concept of turning from a way of life, recognizing what it is and how it's brought brokenness and hurt and pain and shame and guilt into our life, recognizing it and saying, I'm not, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not interested in this way of life anymore. Repentance, are you guys done already? Oh my goodness. Uh, okay, hang out and then we will, we will let you guys present your work in just a moment. These guys are quick, all right? Uh, so, um, so repentance is just to say I'm turning from something. I'm recognizing it, naming it, and turning from it. This can be hard work, guys. To look in a mirror and admit that we've done wrong that has contributed to the fracturing of ourselves and our relationship with God and others and with the world. It's tough to say things like, I haven't been faithful in this friendship. I haven't been faithful to my marriage vows. I've gotten sucked up into pornography or I haven't, uh, I've let myself drift emotionally or I've gotten involved with somebody else or, uh, or I've just checked out of the relationship. It's tough to admit those kinds of things, but to repent, you've got to name it, right? It's tough to say I have a problem with alcohol or drugs or pain pills or food or shopping that's gotten out of control or that I've neglected God and made myself and my desires the center of the universe. It's tough to own when we're nursing grudges or resentment or seeking revenge to somebody who's done wrong to us. It's really hard to own up when we're contributing to cultural kinds of evils, like racism or sexism or any of these ways that our culture has just taken and embraced sin when we've lied or slandered or spread rumors or half-truths all of these things and guys that's just a tiny little list right of the ways that sin can get into our lives but I want to name some of these things because uh, just to recognize that it's hard to own those things but it's necessary 
to do an honest assessment of where we're at. All of these things and more, as tough as they are to own, we know that they put cracks in the shalom that God intends for our lives and our relationship and our world. Sometimes those cracks can become enormous cracks. Sometimes it can explode the whole puzzle and leave it lying on the floor. And many of us know what those things feel like. Here's the word, though, that I want to leave you with today. God's desire. The good news, the gospel for us, the whole thing that we're heading towards celebrating on Christmas is the reality that God recognized and recognizes the pieces that are scattered on the floor and he is at work doing something about it. John says that one will come, we want to make his way straight because the one will come who will save us. It's God's desire, and he does this in Christ for us to make things right, to restore to wholeness, to bring some sort of shalom back into our lives. God is coming, and that's John's message from Isaiah. God is coming. Let's get the road straight for when he does. Let's not have God show up and find us hanging on to our brokenness or trying to make uh, our home in the pieces that are scattered all over the place. Let's have God come and find us having been made ready for his salvation. And so the word where sin has brought things down and caused us to fall short. This is what sin does. It tears it up and leaves it low. John says, repent and let that be lifted up. Where sin has puffed us up and given us a higher view of ourselves than we ought to have or made ourselves and our ego the center of the world or tried to elevate us to a place of, of uh, beyond God's authority in the world, let's repent and let that area of our life be brought down into proper, the proper place. Where sin is made low, let it be repented of and lifted up where it's brought us too high. Let it be repented of and made straight and let all the rough places be smoothed by the grace of God for his coming to save. Let the road be straightened by our naming and repenting of sin so that our God can bring us his peace and restore us to shalom. Now, kids, are they in the lobby still? Steve, can you? Uh, oh, we got one. Gray, where's the puzzle? Let us see your handiwork. Everybody, let's give the kids a hand. Uh, they've been working hard and actually beat me today. Uh.